First, we turn to Mayor Eric Adams' recent journey to Latin America to discourage migrants from coming to New York City. On the final leg of his trip, he visited migrants in Colombia who were about to enter the Darien Gap, the 70-mile stretch of dense jungle that connects South America to Central America and a uh, favored route for smuggling people north. He was greeted by migrants waving signs telling him to go back to his home in New Jersey. Of course, our mayor lives in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And by and he was also greeted by Emmanuel Lazarus, a longtime New York City activist who currently lives in Colombia. Mayor Adams, you're not here to help. If these people really understood what you were doing, they would protest you. Mayor Adams is making it more difficult to help people. The New York Immigration Coalition, which represents migrant communities in New York, has made many statements, including last week, against what he has done. Mayor Adams is not your friend. He is not here to help. He is using these people as a prop for press photographs. Last Thursday, President Biden decided, after promising that he would never do this, to build the wall with Mexico to keep everyone out and militarize the border. He has started direct flights from the United States to Caracas to send people back to Venezuela, something that not even President Trump was willing to do. That was New York City activist Emmanuel Lazarus speaking at a protest in Colombia. Joining us now to discuss our mayor's great discouragement tour and much more from south of the border is Laura Carlson. She is the director of MEDA, Feminism and Democracies, a Mexico City-based think tank formerly known as the Americas Program of the Center for International Policy. Laura has lived and worked in Mexico for more than 30 years and has been the independent's chief Mexico correspondent for the past decade. Laura Carlson, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Absolutely. So first, let's start out with your reaction to um, the recent visit from Mexico, from Eric Adams to Mexico, Ecuador and Colombia, and then what activist Emmanuel Lazarus was saying, who we just heard um, in that clip. I think that the activists really reflected uh, the point of view of immigrants. These kinds of visits do not help in the least, and they do a great deal of damage. What we're seeing Eric Adams do is really tantamount to what the southern um, to what the southern governors did to New York City by pulling a uh, publicity stunt of sending migrants up from the border into the into the city and trying to create chaos in order to gain political points. I think this is very similar. What we're seeing with this trip to Mexico, Ecuador, and Colombia. In Mexico, he talked about this, didn't use the word maybe invasion, but certainly the image is there, 117,000 migrants that have come to uh, New York City in the last year. And what are we going to do about this? And this is such a huge problem without almost any reference whatsoever to what the reality of migratory flows to the United States is. And that reality is that they're a huge boon to the economy. There is a capacity to integrate these people to into the United States economy, into the cities, but it has to be based on compassion and not dissuasion. 
So these kinds of trips of going down and trying to tell people who are in desperate conditions, who are fleeing conditions that are intolerable for any human being, for anyone who's trying to raise a family, conditions of violence, conditions of repression, conditions of hunger, you know, that they simply shouldn't come is is extremely inhumane and it's naive politically as well. And again, I think it really has to do with political grandstanding rather than trying to find any real solution to the challenges of migratory flows in the region. And, and it's sort of not being honest with those people, right? Because their best option still is to come to the U.S. as far as their personal safety goes in most cases. That's right. In many cases, it is true. And people exaggerate what's called the pull factor, which means the the number of people who are coming to the United States because they think they have a chance at the American dream. In many cases, these in most cases, and we know this from millions of testimonies over the years, what we're talking about here is a forced migration. It's not like I want the American dream for my family. It's like we I can't remain here another day. Sometimes people receive threats from gangs and they literally have to leave from one day to the next. So to just go down and say, I'm the mayor of New York City, don't come to my city is is really another way of saying what globalized world is saying to these people already. We don't want you anywhere. We want you to disappear. And nobody should be told that in any circumstances, as well as that kind of a statement, that kind of a policy violates all known international human rights standards. Right. And uh, you're uh, based in Mexico City. You've been there for over 30 years, longtime observer of Mexican politics and social movements. Uh, how is how is this migrant surge uh, playing in Mexico? How are people responding to it, uh, both for better and worse? Well, first off, no one likes to call it a surge, and there's a lot of data regarding whether it is indeed a surge or not. The right wing um, favors an image of an invasion from the South with serious racist undertones, if not overtones, you know, the brown tide coming into the United States. A recent study that was based on demographic data showed that, in fact, this year there are 2 million fewer immigrants in the United States than what was predicted in 2017 for the percentage to be by 2023. Um, we're seeing a lot of, of people who are being counted as immigrants crossing the border, the number of immigrants crossing the border, when because of the policies that are in place, many of those crossings are repeat crossings. They're people who are trying to get their, to their family. They're being deported with expedited deportations. They're crossing again and again to just try to reach their goal of getting to the United States and finding a job. And in many cases, as I say, actually family reunification because part of their family, an essential part of their family already lives there. So it's not at all clear that there's even such a surge going on. We we do see here in Mexico that there are a large number of immigrants coming through Mexico, and we do see that there's a huge accumulation at the border because also, as you may know, you know Mexico agreed again to take back um, migrants from the United States, including from countries that aren't Mexico, you know, and to, to participate 
in the increase in deportations that we're seeing now. And that, that story of how Mexico has bent over in terms of following the immigration, anti-immigrant policies of the United States since the Trump administration, even under an aggressive, uh, progressive, also aggressive in the case of migrants, government here is another story in itself that's, that's, that's worth talking about. But for now, what we know is that there seems to be an opening up that happened in the Darien Gap. The Darien Gap between Colombia and Panama is one of the most dangerous and horrendous parts of a migrant's travels from the South, from South America up to the United States. And uh, there's, from what we're hearing, there was a number of, of agreements made. There was a number, uh, including with the organized crime, because it's kind of a no man's land as well, um, and that it's become a bit safer for people. And so a lot of, especially the Venezuelan migration that's become a big deal at the border is what they call remigration. It means that people who had originally already settled in Colombia are now remigrating up to try to get into the United States. I mean, the fact that it's based or the argument that it's based on the U.S. government first opening up temporary protective status, which many people really need, and then sort of closing it down and creating false expectations, again, it doesn't take into account the full reality. People are not necessarily going, people will go up. If they're in dire situations, even if they really don't have a reason to believe that they have a chance of legally getting into the United States. And they'll do that because they have no other options. The human, human nature, you know, is set up to survive. And that's what so many of these migrants and their families, because we're seeing a huge increase in the migration of women and children as well, are doing. Right. Um, I'll never forget one time when I was working down on the border talking to this woman and her children, and they were from Guatemala, and they were in a very violent situation, and they had left. They got put in jail. This is very, very common, put in jail in Mexico for a month. They got out of jail, um, and they were deported back to Guatemala after that, and then they left again immediately after and that just really struck me like you must have had to leave because i could see her all day with her kids she was a good mother you know what i mean anyway i want uh laura for you to talk a little bit more about the actual the treacherous journey so we have the darien gap which got safer um and then a lot of times people are on train on bus actually walking through the desert at some parts can you update us on what it's like from migrants going through mexico right now um, I heard that they maybe closed down the train that a lot of migrants were using to travel right, right. and some okay. other things and how different community groups um, are sort of responding to them, um, if, what kind of organization around that there is, um, where we know the Mexican government, as you said, um, has been complying with a lot of the U.S.'s wishes. Yeah, well, we've been in close touch with uh, some of the shelters and, of course, looking at some of the policies Every time there's this frankly stupid policy change like we've seen lately, it affects, it affects thousands of people's lives in a tragic way. So let's look at this journey. For people who are coming up from the south, that is 
further south than Central America, which is a huge part. Central America, of course, is a huge part of the forced migration. Coming back into the south, they, the report was that over the past year, there have been 417,000 people who have come through the Darien Gap. The fact that it's safer doesn't mean that it's safe. It's got, uh, it's, it's known for a whole slew of, of threats and risks for migrants from poisonous snakes to dehydration to organized crime. You know, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous region even now. Then you get to Mexico. And since recently with the, the agreement with, uh, the U.S. government, there's an agreement to deport people from Mexico. Uh, some of those direct flights to Venezuela were coming through here. Um, although now I was recently hearing from someone who is close to that situation that Venezuela isn't accepting those flights. I'm not sure what the situation is. But uh, we're also seeing that they're accepting people back who can't get their asylum hearings or who are waiting for their hearing, their asylum hearings. It's kind of a de facto version of Remain in Mexico that was actually supposedly struck down a Trump era policy. It's a, it's a kind of a, a way of coming back to a lot of those Trump era policies without calling them by their names. What we're seeing now with what Biden's doing. So they, in this crackdown, because it is a crackdown on migrants in Mexico as a result of this latest agreement, uh, they have, um, prohibited migrants from using the train and they're actually cracking down again on it. There's been, uh, the deployment of troops to go after migrants throughout the country. There's videos that have been verified in the, in social medias that show migrants. And this gives you an idea of the desperation and the courage that it requires to take up this journey. And especially with your family, they show groups of migrants walking onto the train tracks at night in front of an oncoming train and actually forcing that train to stop. They don't even know if it's going to stop or not, but they're there with their bodies um, at, on the train tracks, forcing them to stop. So the trains are responding by stopping and then oftentimes, you know, diverting routes or that kind of thing. But this is a hardship as well, because whereas they used to be able to travel on cargo pla- on tra- cargo trains in very dangerous situations, but right, right. make more time, you know, now, now they're, now they're on foot. All of the shelters are overwhelmed. Uh, they're getting no support from the state in any way, shape or form. They're getting no support from the state in the United States. The programs to supposedly process asylum requests in the South, in other countries are really not functioning. Um, the asylum hearings are way backed up. There's a virtual denial of the right to asylum in the United States. So yeah. it's a situation that just gets worse. Yeah. Right. And um, we, we have just a couple more minutes here, but can um, uh, we heard Emmanuel Lazarus talking about the New York Immigration Coalition, which is a coalition of uh, something like 200 groups here in New York City um, representing different communities. What 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 is sort of the I guess the sort of social movement uh, uh, ecosystem in, in Mexico City or not just Mexico City in Mexico uh, that is uh, uh, stepping up uh, for the migrants? Well, there there have been many years of uh, binational 
contacts in order to make contact like with that New York coalition, which is one that's been in close, close contact with us. And then here there's the infrastructure of civil society, which is all the shelters that provides basic humanitarian services to migrants where the states don't. And then as far as policy, there's constant policy work and coordination and thinking about what could really be done to solve the problem. But unfortunately, it doesn't get a lot of traction. In Mexican politics, making migrants suffer doesn't seem to be something that has a high political cost still. Uh, and as we see more migrants coming in, we're seeing a rise in the kind of racism that you see in the United States. Mm. And, and last of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about more about uh, your group, uh, Mira, uh, recently uh, changed uh, its name and uh, is uh, really uh, leaning into and emphasizing uh, more of a feminist analysis. Yeah, thanks, John. We have been working as a progressive foreign policy center of analysis and action as the Americas program for more than 40 years. And we just last week changed to Mira Feminism's and democracies will be doing the same kind of work, looking at problems like immigration, uh, like regional integration, but from a specifically feminist perspective. And um, look, we have a group of analysts throughout the region, throughout Latin America, that are writing about this. We have an intersectional feminist analysis that also looks at indigenous peoples carefully, what's happening with Afro descendants in the country. So we're really looking forward at going a level deeper in terms of how we see not just international relations between states, but also between peoples and how international solidarities can help to resolve some of these problems like what's happening to migrants today. Great. Well, Laura Carlson, we thank you so much for joining us on the Independent News Hour on uh, WBAI, and, and we're looking forward to your next article for us, which will be in our November issue. Always appreciate all your work uh, in Mexico. That's right, and thanks. It's always a pleasure to be on the show and to be in contact with the Independent.